Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Hey, what's up, everybody? What an amazing episode with Gay Hendricks. Um, first of all, I read his book, uh, Conscious Luck, which is what got me to get him to come on the show. So that was cool. But we learned all about the genius zone in this episode. Um, he's a been there, done that guy. And it was really fun and got to really learn from someone that's that's spent a lifetime teaching folks how to find their genius, how to find more luck in their life. Um, really, really great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashazi, and boy, do we have a special guest. My man, Gay Hendricks, is in the house. Gay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Darius. It's really great to be with you. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for this episode. You don't even know. Um, Gay, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping, and then we'll get started here? Go right ahead. All right. Thank you. So for listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And gay here is neither short of passion nor greatness. So I'm going to give you, the audience members a little bit of background. Anyone that follows me on social, they always see that I, I like to read a lot of books. I, I finished 47 books this year. My goal is 52. And I was on um, a friend of the show, Mike Koenig. Actually, his episode just came out today. So you should go listen to the episode. I interviewed him. And then he, I ended up doing his show. And he had mentioned his relationship with, with gay. And so, I, you know, I'm a my number four core value is curiosity. So I just start, went and looked, looked you up and started looking at your work. And I don't know what it, what it was, but I got drawn to your book, Conscious Luck. And it's eight secrets to intentionally change your fortune. And I have this like connection to the word luck. And so I, I ended up reading the book and I was just telling Gabe before the show that, you know, especially someone that, you know, I, I get through about one and a half books a week. So, there, so I do a lot of reading, some for fun, some I'm learning. But there's always, 
probably, I don't know, half a dozen moments a year where something hits me and I'm like, and, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know any of your bigger beliefs, but I'm a big believer in God. And I was like, God gave me this book right now to read. God told me, I'm telling you, I've had this happens to me half a dozen, it happens to me once or twice a year where it's a really big thing, but about half a dozen times a year. And one, and one of those six times, like, I don't know, I can't even name them all, but I can tell you what, one of them was your book. And it was, (laughs) I had this moment when I read it, I'm like, God made me read this book right now. And it made me learn something that I never realized. And it opened up this blind spot I've had in my life for like, I'm 45 years old, 45 years. So I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. I'll talk to you about, I'll tell you more about it when we get into the show, but but that was my connection. I got done reading that book and I'm like, I want to go interview gay, gay. Now, having a show is a really nice way to get to interview people who change your life. So, uh, so man, I just want to tell you before you know how you changed my life. Thank you for changing my life. I appreciate it very much. And uh, yeah, keep doing the great work you're doing. Well, thank you. It's a great honor and a pleasure to be doing this work. And I'm so glad that it touched you. I always say I have the best inbox in town because every day when I wake up, people have sent me from all over the world, big leaps that they've taken and things they've done in service of their genius or conscious luck experiences that they've had after reading Conscious Luck. So I really appreciate the feedback. Uh, well, I, I, you, I, I can't wait to read more of your books right now. So you got me really fired up for that. I'm going to be talking about the rest of your work. So um, if you don't mind, I want to do your uh, more of your formal bio. And then uh, as we always start the show here at The Greatness Machine, would love to get into your origin story. Are you, are you cool with that, Gay? Uh, certainly. Anything. I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. Perfect. Well, so for listeners uh, who are not familiar with Gay's work, Gay Hendricks is a PhD, and he has been a leader in the field of relationship transformation and and body-mind therapies for more than 45 years. He's the owner of the Hendricks Institute, has written more than 40 books, including the best-selling books, The Big Leap, The Genius Zone, as well as Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your your Fortune. And we're going to be talking about his new book today as well. Of the big leap year. So, um, Kay, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love if you could give our listeners a little bit of your background, some of your origin story, and how'd you get to where you got to in life? We'd love to hear more. Oh, thank you. Great question. Well, just to give you some context, yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. So kind of oh. working backwards, uh, <clears throat> I feel like I got the big prize in life when I met Katie in 1980. And uh, we've had an amazing relationship ever since. And I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But I started out, um, (laughs) I was born in a small town in Florida called Leesburg. And I, from the very beginning, I had a medical issue that caused me to be taken around to a lot of different medical specialists when I was a kid. Basically, I had some kind of, born with some kind of glandular problem that caused me to gain weight really fast. And so I became the, I was a very fat baby, and then I became a very fat two-year-old. And so I had this obesity problem, and nobody could figure out why, because everybody else in my family was thin, and I was eating the same food they were. So Mm. uh, anyway, I was taken around to all over the place for different specialties, and but nobody ever, uh, the problem I had, the solution to it didn't get discovered for some more years. And so uh, I had everything under the sun. I had human growth hormone shots when I was a little kid. And I had, they put me on, when I was in the ninth grade, they put me on a diet 
which worked great, but it was all based on amphetamines, you know, like diet pills. And so my whole ninth grade year, I made straight A's because I couldn't sleep at night, you know, because I was full of these pills. And um, anyway, to make a very long story short, I was still struggling with the problem at age 24 when I had a major enlightenment experience the hard way. And so I was really stuck when I was that age. I had been in a relationship. I'd lost my grandmother when I was 21, and she and I were very close. She pretty much raised me. And so I was very close to my grandmother. And when she died, I kind of went into a tailspin. And I started smoking heavily. I was smoking two or three packs of cigarettes a day. Thank goodness I've never had a taste for alcohol, so I didn't over drink. But I did, you know, I, I would eat an entire box of cookies while I was sitting there watching some silly TV show, you know. And so I, I boxed in myself when I was 24 to the point where I basically hated my body. I weighed more than 300 pounds. By wow. contrast, I'm 180 pounds uh, now, and I weigh, I mean, I'm about six feet tall. So if you looked at me walking by, you'd say there's an athletic-looking old guy. And uh, so I work out at the gym three days a week, so I'm reasonably buffed out. And But in those days, I looked like a pear because I was 100 pounds overweight. And so on this particular day, I was in an argument with the woman, Linda, that I had been with for a couple of years, and we were trying to break up, but neither one of us had the money to get an extra apartment. And so we were kind of financially stuck together there for a while. And so we'd had a big argument and I went out to clear my head. And I was living in New England at the time, teaching at a small boarding school for delinquent boys in uh, Center Stratford, New Hampshire. And it had snowed overnight. And I was walking down this lonely country road just kind of lost in thoughts, trying to figure out what I was going to do in my life. And I stepped on a place where there was ice underneath the snow, and my feet shot out from under me, and I went wham down on my back, and I bounced my head off the ice. I didn't pass out, but I definitely, if you think about it, a 300-pound person weighs approximately what a refrigerator weighs. So imagine, bam, something like that falling down. and. So I, um, but while I was on the ice for a few minutes, lying on my back, I I went into an altered state of consciousness. Like I say, I wasn't knocked out, but it kind of knocked me out of my usual way of thinking of myself and seeing myself. Uh, I call it, I had an out of Hendrix experience. And <laughs> so... Uh, what happened was for about two minutes, it was like I could see down through levels of myself that I'd never known existed. Like I could see this layer of fat around my body. And I could see how underneath that was a whole layer of a bunch of tense muscles. And then underneath that, I could see that the reason my muscles were so tense and I had all the fat was because I was resisting all of these feelings. I had inside, like anger that I'd never realized I had, and going back to my father's death, and sorrow, and sadness, and fear about was I going to be able to 
get my life together because there I was 24 and my father had died when he was age 32. And it looked like he suffered some of the same disease because in the last year or two of his life, he blew up like a hundred pounds. And when he died, he was obese. And like I was, he was a heavy smoker. And so as I was laying there on the ice, I said, oh my gosh, I'm replaying my father's life. I'm trying to kill myself. But here's the real magic, Darius. When I felt all of those feelings, like just let myself feel them instead of avoid them, it was like I passed through them and found a place inside that, you know, some people call it spirit or God or our higher self. But what it, what it is to me is it's like a, a shimmering ocean of pure consciousness or a shimmering sky of pure consciousness that's the backdrop of everything inside us. And I had never felt that before. And I think I had to kind of knock some sense into myself in order to get out of my stuck way of seeing myself. Because like I had never in my life owned my anger, or I'd never said to somebody else, I feel sad, or I'd never cried in front of anybody else. I mean, I think I did in front of my mother when I was little, but uh, mm -hmm. I kind of had it as a point of pride, you know, that I was too tough for all that stuff. And yeah. um, I grew up in an era in the 1950s where there was a real emphasis on men being the strong, silent type. John Wayne was the big sure. hero of the time, and Roy Rogers and those kind of people, and they were all very stoic, stiff upper look guys, you know. And so that's the way I tried to model my life. And I realized as I was laying there on the ice that all the ways I had tried to protect myself were going to kill me. And mm. so I had this one moment which I think saved my life, where as I was experiencing that pure consciousness inside myself that was beyond all of my emotions and everything, I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes in my life to feel this all the time. And so when I came back to my regular consciousness, I still wanted a cigarette, you know, and I still had to walk back home and I was still going into the same crappy little apartment with a woman that neither of us wanted to live together anymore. And so my life was the same, but it was completely different because I'd accessed that pure consciousness. And it began to change my life right away because I thought the one place I can for sure apply this is in the food I eat. And so I started choosing foods that felt like they fed that pure consciousness in me rather than my old 300 and some pound body that I'd been lugging around. And so I believe that the 180 pound body I have now was my real body, that it was all mm -hmm. underneath these different layers of programming. Uh, you know, you don't wake up when you're a kid and say, hey, I want to be fat today. You know, it's just like it had been thrust upon me. And so I, I had to deal with it. And so anyway, on this magic day, when I was 24 years old, I started my life change. And within a year, I'd lost 100 pounds or so uh, by that really simple trick of just 
is the food I'm about to put in my mouth going to feed my old 300-pound miserable body, or am I going to feed this new liberated body? And so, what? So, so, what type of like? Could you give examples of like the new food? What what kind of food was it? Like, give an well, example. I can tell you the first one because I ate it for about three days. I found in the freezer a package of blueberries that we had frozen during blueberry season, which is usually in the months of August into September in New England. And by the way, if you haven't had New England blueberries, you're into it for a real treat. Uh, mm. I know they grow them elsewhere, but I've never found a sweeter blueberry than uh, the ones they have there. They're very brief season where I lived in New New Hampshire. But anyway, um, we'd had a couple of pounds of them. And so for the first few days, every time I said, what do I want to eat? That was the only thing I could find that my body wanted. And so, but uh, let me give you an example. Before that, a lunch for me would be, well, my ultimate lunch, like I'd go down sometimes on Friday or Saturday to Bob's Clam Hut, and I would get the entire seafood special, which was fried clams, a few fried scallops, a couple of pieces of fried fish, onion rings, and Bob's fries, which, by the way, if you get on the border between New Hampshire and Maine, Bob's is still there. And I, I get paid nothing for doing this free commercial. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you want to have the real treat, stop at Bob's Clam Hut. But anyway, I would go there and I would have this big, gigantic meal. Now, after I had my enlightenment moment, I would eat something like, uh, well, oh, uh, I might have a bowl of broccoli with a little bit of butter on it, uh, or uh, a bit steamed broccoli, not just raw right. broccoli. But I discovered fruits and vegetables, which I'd never <laughs> paid any attention to. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it was like uh, it was like when I went away to college, and they had oil and vinegar on the table, and I said, "What is that for?" And one of my best friends said, "Well." You put it on a salad. And I had never until that time thought that salad dressing was anything that didn't come out of a bottle, you know, that said craft yeah. on it or something like that. And that was a real moment of liberation. It was also a moment of liberation when I went away to college to taste what actual coffee tastes like, because my mother's version of coffee was so strong that uh, you could practically stand a spoon up in it. So I remember wow. the first time I tried to drink coffee at home, I went, uh, because it was so, uh, and my grandmother, she drank tea, but it was the same thing. She put about two two tea bags in a little six ounce uh, glass of, uh, or a cup of tea. Uh, so uh, when I went away to college, I said, oh, that's what coffee should taste like. So uh, anyway, nice. it started a lifelong addiction. Now I grind my own beans and make kind of yeah. a production. I only drink a couple of cups a day now, but I uh, uh, take care to uh, put, you know, to work with whatever I put in my body. And then my yeah. wife uh, is a fantastic cook. Katie is usually cooks us lunch, not because she has to or anything like that, because she loves to cook and she only likes to do it once a day. And so I would say that four days out of five, she also cooks a very conscious lunch for us. 
and then we don't eat dinner. Maybe we'll have a snack or something in the evening. But uh, we found that a good way to keep ourselves trim and athletic looking in our senior years is to skip dinner. I love that. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So it's uh, so, so interesting that this is where you landed uh, with, with my question. So the epiphany I had, I'm going to go straight to it, was... You talked in the book around shame and holding shame in your body. And so in, in Conscious Luck is talking essentially how we can create luck by considering ourselves a lucky person and how we think about the actual concept of luck. For And, and I highly recommend it. So it's a great book. Um, I love the read. But there was this moment where you're talking about how we hold shame in our body. And so I want to tell you a quick story about myself because this is the epiphany I had. 
I have always considered myself a person that like uh, I would say I'm shameless. Like I don't I don't feel shame. I actually I actually realized I didn't know what the, what the word meant. Just FYI, <laughs> a 45. Okay, so, but but I never had considered a, myself someone that felt shame. I'm like you know I don't I generally don't do bad things and I don't feel like embarrassed. I'm a person that doesn't get embarrassed. Um, you know I'm pretty thoughtful in the way I carry myself and what things I say to people and and just yeah it's very rare that I get embarrassed and and I kind of attached embarrassment to shame. And so in the book though you talked about how we hold shame in our body and there was a, and and there's a meditation that you do in the book where you introduce light in place of the shame. And so interesting thing there is I had I'm going to be kind of vulnerable right now. I grew up in a family where the kid, we, we put like, I was, I've weighed over, I weighed to 383 pounds of my, my highest weight. I weigh about wow. 250, 250 now. I'm a big yeah. guy. I wrestled, wrestled division one in college. This is, this is me like pretty lean. Um, <clears throat> but I was almost 400 pounds and I grew up in a family where like, like we just were like kind of the same deal. Like we got didn't get dealt the best hand when it came to like being thin or being big. Right. We were, most of the kids, like my brother put on weight really easily. My sister puts on weight pretty easily. I put on weight pretty easily. And, um, and so I remember like in my family, we got body shamed all the time. I mean, I got called fat by my dad, my grandfather constantly from the time I can remember. And I had this moment where I realized I have carried around shame in my body my whole life. And I never realized it till I read your book. And I did the meditation right after, I, I swear I was very emotional when I read that part of your book. And I did the meditation and I felt different afterwards. So I'd love it if maybe you could t- talk about that because the, the, I think there's a connection between what you're saying, what you had kind of given your story. And then I, I swear I didn't expect you to go there. Like I, I was trying to figure out how I was going to introduce my, my story because my story with your book is pretty random, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what do you think well, about that? What are your thoughts on what I just said? Well, one thing I should tell the story, I think, because I started out at the same place you did. Like the day before this thing happened that I wrote about in the book, uh, if you'd asked me, do you feel shame? I would have thought, no, not really. I'm, you know, I don't go around feeling guilty or shameful. Well, the difference between guilt and shame is pretty big because guilt is usually about something you do, whereas shame is about something you be, you know, something you feel like you are. And so just briefly what happened, my brother and I, after my mother passed away in 1990, my brother and I convened at her home in Florida to start the process of cleaning out 79 years of a person who never threw anything away. And (laughs) (laughs) so uh, um, we were, had this daunting job of, anyway, I was transporting a picture, a a picture frame that had an old picture in it across the room, and an envelope with a letter in it fell out of the back of the picture frame where it had been stuffed between, you know, the back of the frame so you couldn't see it. And so it fell out on the floor, and I picked it up, and it was dated 1945, the year I was born. It was like late in the year of 1945 when I would have been about maybe, oh, nine or 10 months old. And so I picked up the letter and I read it and I just, I almost, you know, I was consumed with tears because 
it was a letter from my mother's church group begging her to come out of the house and come back to the group again. And it was all about, you know, we can we know that the way your baby was born was not the ideal way. We know that your husband had just died before your baby was born and it was a a, a mess for you. But please don't be ashamed don't be so ashamed about that. And come out of your house. My mother apparently had not come out of the house Mm. for those first months of my life. And as I was reading the letter, I realized, oh, the reason I would have told you yesterday that I don't have any shame is because I have so much of it. I was pickled in it. In other words, from the get-go, I was gestated in shame for nine months before I was born, and then I was nursed in shame by someone who was so ashamed she wouldn't even come out of the house. And so I realized that could be true for most of us. We just feel so much shame we can't tell it from who we really are. And so that was a huge revelation for me. And then I realized it was like the universe was talking directly to me and telling me how to fix this problem because this next thought was that came in was, oh, you've opened up a new territory in your body where shame is, but mm-hmm. why don't you go ahead now and replace it with consciousness and something better? And what I came up with was that I, I'm lucky all the time, that everything I do is lucky. And so I replaced my shame with luck attracting uh, molecules, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, and, but here's the key principle, Darius, is it's just territory in your body, like the territory that anger occupies in your body or the territory that sadness or fear occupies down in your belly. That's on one level, but on this other level of pure consciousness, if you can identify and open up with that level, suddenly you immediately know how to deal with your fear or your sadness or your anger because it's not, it doesn't have a grip on you. So as you open up to pure consciousness, you realize, oh, I have anger, but I'm not my anger. I have sadness, but I'm not my sadness. I have sex, but I'm not my sexuality. So making that distinction between your being and those things that you learned later, uh, like things you're angry about or sad about or, or scared about, all of those things get programmed into us as we go along. I always say that, you know, it's like we're born into a party that's already going on and you have to kind of learn the rules that take place in your particular version of the party. So um, I learned a lot about how to hide all my feelings and how to hide my organic spirituality, my pure consciousness. What I didn't learn ever in high school or college even until I got to graduate school was how to reveal myself so that I didn't have any secret or hidden parts of myself. And so thanks to about you know, six years of getting my master's and my PhD in counseling psychology and running a thousand therapy groups and things like that, where I had to open up myself. To me now, it's no big deal to say, 
I'm angry or I'm scared or I'm sad or um, I'm tired, whatever it is. I, I don't mind saying it now. It's no problem because I'm not hidden behind that whole bunch of tucked in uh, fears and things that I used to seal off from the outside world. I got that. So let me let me ask you a question. As uh, and I have, I have so many questions, but do you feel like we're using shame as an example? And even the, like the word you use, pickled in shame, is interesting mm -hmm. because I feel like um, I love my mom, but my mom I think was pickled in fear. I was pickled mm -hmm. in fear, right? I was born in a person that was, I think maybe she was happy at that point in her life, but she grew up around in a, in a very fearful environment. And um, where was that? That's it. Well. <clears throat> She grew up in Western Pennsylvania, but and her parents got divorced. But there was just a lot of like her. Her father was a you know was grew up in Italy, and he um he was a guerrilla uh, in the World War II for the uh, Italian Army against Mussolini. Comes to the United States. He was actually I come to find out sexually abused when he was a young child in this like village in Italy. Um, so he hated women, you know, just for whatever reason. And so he was really mean to my mom. Um, and I grew up around my grandfather and he was really mean to us kids. And, um, and you know, my father, who's Persian, Iranian, um, you know, was actually a really fun guy, but he had a kind of a dark side to him too. And so my mom just went from like one to kind of like bad situation to the next. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I, the word you use pickled, I'm like, I'm fairly certain my brother and I were pickled in like stress, right? Mm -hmm. Pickled, grew up, I have, a, I have a twin brother. So we were born in, you know, like we've shared a womb together. And, and I see it, I've seen this play out as adults into how we've, you know, obviously become adults and the, the issues we've had to fight through. And I guess where I'm going with that, and my question for you is, when we, some of these things, and they talk about this in like epigenetics, right? Like you, you're like, you know, you, you, you can change those things. Right. But, but the programming can, can kind of be, I, I kind of feel like the programming can be forced on you and it's your job to unprogram. it. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I, I totally agree because you got things imposed on you that became the limiting beliefs of your life. Right. That down inside each one of us, we have some limiting beliefs like I can't open up to my genius because I'm quiet and shy or I can't open up to my genius because I'm the wrong body shape or I'm the wrong skin color. You know, all of us have limiting beliefs inside. And part of growing up is to gradually get out of the prison of those right. limiting beliefs. You know, it's just like the Eagles song says that how many of us go through our lives in prison when we don't realize we have the key, you know, that we have the ability to transform ourselves. Maybe you can't change your genetics, you know, if you're sure. blind in one eye, you might not be able to revise that. But on the other hand, there are so many things that you can change, but the reason they don't change is because paradoxically, they haven't been loved and accepted as they are. So mm. your sexuality will continue to be a problem in your life until you can fully accept your sexuality as it is. And, you know, I've had people in here that have been struggling 
with their sexuality for 30, 40 years of their life that are still struggling in their 40s, for example, with whether they should be heterosexual or homosexual. And they've been having that struggle since they were a little kid. So what we have to do is find out where our limitations are and gradually open up those and move through them because none of them are wired in. They're all there because we haven't loved and accepted and honored them for what they were. You know, like my weight, I now feel like was the luckiest thing I ever had in a way because even though I was miserable with it for many years, Look what happened. You know, the moment I got interested in what was under it, it took a whack on the body to do it. But the moment <laughs> I was <laughs> interested in it, um, the answers were all there. And here's the thing. I, I always tell my students here that the universe is very happy to teach us a lesson by tickling us with a feather. And if we're not paying attention, if we keep resisting, the universe is equally happy to whack us over the head with a, uh, a blunt object. And uh, <laughs> I've had both, believe me. And I've, I realize now that I love to get my deepest lessons by wisdom and delight rather than raw, unpleasant experience. Uh, Definitely. So, yeah. And the thing is that if you're looking if you're looking for one variable that I think really contributes to misery a lot and contributes to enlightenment a lot, it's openness to learning. How hmm. open are you to learning what the universe is trying to teach you? And it could be the universe in the form of another person. You know, like uh, I have a friend that recently, uh, I'm, a, I'm an avid golfer, and over at my golf club where I play two or three times a week, um, one of my main golf partners is a recovering alcoholic who has 30 years of sobriety. And he was telling me that his whole life, he had resisted 100 people, he said, had told him he was an alcoholic and he needed to get help. And every time he had resisted that and said, no, I can handle it. And then there was this one magic day when he stood up at an AA meeting and said, my name's John and I'm an alcoholic and admitted that he was powerless over it. And mm -hmm. in that moment, he got the power back. And if you read through all of my books, like uh, The Big Leap and even the relationship books that I've written with Katie called Conscious Loving or Conscious Loving Ever After, you'll see that we are given the opportunity over and over and over again to learn the same lesson. Like, I can't believe now looking back at my own life before I met Katie and learned to communicate more easily about my feelings, I bet a dozen different women from my teenage years up until my 30s had said something to me like, you never tell me your feelings. You know, I'm always interested. I always ask you, what do you feel? And you just make a joke about it and say nothing, you know. So I realized I developed this habit of just defending against anything that sort of got into my emotional world. I didn't know at the time that 
when people leave relationships and get divorced, they often do surveys about why are you leaving. And one of the main things is he won't ever tell me about his feelings. You know, that a lot of times people put that as their number one reason they're leaving. And so, boy, I'll tell you, I've learned so much over the past 40. Uh, well, Katie and I have met in 1980, so we've been together uh, 44 years now and coming up on our starting our 45th year in a couple of months. And I've learned so much about how to communicate my emotions, which I think is one of the key things in any kind of healthy relationship is being able to say, I felt angry about that, or I felt sad when such and such happened, or I feel scared. I don't know what I'm feeling right now. But just that ability not to be so defensive about owning up to what's going on inside yourself already. That's been a huge source of liberation for me, knowing that nothing needs to be concealed. Yeah, I love that, man. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, you talk about the genius zone, and obviously that's that's a, a, one of your biggest books. What is it and, and how how does someone discover their genius? Your genius zone is made up of two factors coming together. It's what you most love to do, what brings you greatest satisfaction when you're doing it. What do you just love to do so much you do it all day unless you needed to eat or something? And we all have that. Sometimes it takes a while to get down through the layers because a lot of times you're told growing up that you can't do that sort of thing. And so you couldn't make a living doing that. As a matter of fact, I remember the first time I really decided in favor of my own genius. There was this one moment, and I'm tempted to say it was in 1977. It was somewhere in the 70s. But I realized that what I most loved to do was be with people. It could be one person, or it could be a group, or it even could be a, a large group. And be with those people as they're opening up to who they really are and uncovering mm. their true genius, what they most love to do. And the second factor in genius is you not only love to do it, but you also make a contribution to other people's lives and your own life mm. as you're doing it. Like right now, you're obviously in your genius zone. You're doing something that you love to do, or at least your body language would suggest that you love doing this. And, I do. And you're also making a contribution to the thousands and thousands of people who will hear these ideas and 
you know, go, wow, that's interesting. And so um, I discovered mine early on, which is fairly early because it was in my 30s when I finally figured it out. I think I was around 32 or something like that. But um, it transformed my life because I realized I'm only spending about one hour out of the eight or nine hours of my workday in my genius zone. And so I needed to start bumping it up. And so I started back in the 70s, around 1979, 80, of doing more and more and more of what I most love to do. And as if by magic, I suddenly had plenty of time to do that and plenty of time to do my other stuff too. So don't ever come to me and say, you don't have time for your genius because your commitment to your genius makes the time necessary for its expression. And so you create the new time to invest in your genius by making a commitment to your genius. Just like if your spouse or your partner complains that you're not spending enough quality time in the, in the relationship, committing to do that first will open up the necessary time for it. So uh, if anybody says to me, oh, I don't have time for doing that, I give them an example. I have a, a client that I work with. I do a mentoring program every year for a few, uh, up to four uh, conscious entrepreneurs, I call them. They're usually people in their 30s and 40s who have built up a presence, but they kind of want to take a big leap. And so I, um, some of them are people like movie stars who want to move up to a A-list position or, or might be a writer who wants to write his big book or her big book. Uh, but it's somebody that wants to make a big leap. I had a guy two years ago that during the course of the year that we worked together, he increased his net worth from about $6 million to well over $100 million during that year by, in a sense, simplifying his life. But during that year, even though he was in the process of creating and selling a couple of businesses and things like that, plus running his own business, he found time. Oh, uh, I, I suggested to him, you know, you ought to write a little book about what you're doing and how you're carrying these things out. And imagine somebody else would say, oh, I'm running a business plus selling a bunch of business plus my marriage and two kids and coaching my son's soccer team and all that. He would have said, I don't have time to write a book. But he said, okay, I've got 720, I mean, uh, 20 minutes from 7 to 720 in the morning. I'm going to write my book. And he wrote a whole 240-page book in 20 minutes a day. I never seen anything quite like it. So not only does the guy tuck away an extra hundred a million or so, he ends up writing a book about it in his spare time. But see, it's amazing. commitment, that's what creates the magic. I love that. You know, so I... I I, I I see that. I mean, I've, I'm actually really interested to, to to learn more about what you just talked about. I'm like, hmm, conscious entrepreneur in his 40s trying to do something big. I'm like, that sounds like me. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm actually a trained conscious capitalist. Um, but, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because you talk about this idea of cultivating genius every day. You know, my wh what I've found that's worked pretty well for me with anything is kind of just starting with the smallest like 
smallest commitment of possible that I know I can't not that I know I can't not do. Right. So I'm like, okay, like I'll use an example when I was trying to lose weight and I ended up having actually, I had medical intervention to lose weight because I, I, I really did try almost everything you could think of. Um, but I was like, you know, I would say, oh, I got to lose, you know, tw- 20 pounds, you know, gotta, I, I had to lose 150 pounds, but I'm like, I, I'm like, I just got to lose 20 pounds to start with. And then I'm like, no, you don't. You got to lose one. And then I, and then I, and then I even dumbed it down smaller than that. I said, you know, no, I don't. I only have to eat one good meal. The next meal needs to be a healthy meal. And yeah. I, and so, so I've done that with, I've done that almost in every part of my life. I'm like, okay, I wrote a book. And so when I, when I wrote my book, it's, it's called the core value equation. It's, it's about how do you build a core value driven organization? And I, when I got coached on it, they said, look, writing a book is 250 p- words a day. You just got to commit to 250 words a day. Which two hundred fifty words is not that many words. It's a right? page. A bu- yeah, a book is a fifty th- book. A two hundred forty page book is about fifty th- forty fifty thousand words. So they're like, if you write two hundred fifty words a day, you'll write a book. You'll write at least your manuscript in a year. I wrote that book, okay, in three months. I had it edited in three months, and I had it done and out in a year, like mm. published and everything. Right. So when you talk about cultivating genius every day, do you think about it in the same way? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, interestingly enough, uh, when people come, like executives come to us for a day of training, we start them off with just 10 minutes, spending 10 minutes in their genius zone. In fact, um, one of the things we do is we have people just sit in a quiet room by themselves, and for 10 minutes, we have them just phrase a question, what we call a wonder question a question that you really don't know the answer to, and the answer to it would change your life. That's what we call a wonder question. And so we give people a series of wonder questions. And the first one is, hmm, what do I most love to do? And then we invite them to take three easy breaths and then say it again. Hmm, what do I most love to do? Hmm, and then three easy breaths. Because that gives your mind a chance to kind of respond a little bit. Um, And so that process goes on for 10 minutes. And some people will say things like, you know, that 10 minutes changed my life because, and the reason is because they've never just kind of dropped out of their minds for three breaths, you know, and instead of kind of trying to find the answer to that question in their mind, just to phrase the question and then let it float off into space while they take three easy breaths. And so it's learning to trust a new creative part of ourselves that comes from somewhere else rather than from our logical mind. I remember when sorry, my... Uh, oh, oh no, so, so sorry to interrupt. So are you essentially what I just heard you say is am I like essentially quieting that prefrontal look you know, cortex, I'm saying, okay, look, the monkey brain that wants to solve problems isn't solving this problem because this is coming from a deeper part of who I am. Yeah. I'm going to quiet that part of my brain, open up my pineal gland and tap into my reptilian brain and say like, what do I, is, is that part of it? Or is it really maybe even deeper than that where I'm tapping into my consciousness? Like, what are your thoughts? Yes. I think, uh, with practice, see at first, if you begin to drop into yourself for 30 seconds while you're breathing, 
there may be some old anger, some old sadness, some stress in the system. But as you keep doing it, you keep learning more and more about yourself until you come to that place of pure consciousness. So a lot of people don't feel that pure consciousness thing when we first kind of take them inside. But later on with practice, everybody begins to identify that big open space of shimmering pure consciousness inside. So is, is it that you're really connecting, like you're helping folks that maybe don't have as quick of access to their, because for whatever reason, I, I, I think this is a, my belief is, is like connecting the consciousness is a practice that you like do, and then it, you get better at it the more yes. you do it. I mean, is, but, is that is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah, very much so. Uh, I'm a 50 now, 52-year meditator. I learned um, my TM meditation when I was in graduate school 50 years ago. And I just continued doing it every day. Um, and so every day I go into a quiet space in my house. And oftentimes, and with my wife, if uh, she's not busy, we both meditate together. And during that 15 or 20 minutes, what we're doing is just kind of quieting our minds. And invariably, mm -hmm. after a few minutes, the mind keeps, you know, dances around for a little while, but it eventually drops out and you just have this pure open space of pure consciousness. And that's a perfect place to redesign your life from. Because uh, a lot of times when people go inside, all they feel is their old anxiety or their old sadness or their old shame. But we need to go inside enough times and deep enough to where we move through all that and get down to that pure consciousness place. I love that. So um, you have the new book coming out. Um, would you, the big, the big leap year is that what it's called? The, your, your big, big leap year, yes. And, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, let's talk. Let's talk about that. Well, thank you. I'm very excited about it. It'll be out in February of the new year. It's the kind of book that you don't need to start it on January first. You can start it whenever you want to start it. But it's 366 days of big leap enlightenment, page a day, one one activity a day to further your genius. And so um, I think it's the perfect sequel to The Big Leap because it gives you literally a page a day that you can do. And it has each page usually has a quotation and then an activity, usually that takes 10 seconds or 30 seconds or sometimes two minutes. But they're always very brief activities that will further your genius. And as it happened, I didn't plan this at the time, but as it happens, this next year is going to be a big leap year. It's going to be a leap year. Oh no way! <laughs> That's amazing. I love you. You should launch it on like on the what's the what's the date on leap year? It's the 29th of February. Well, is that right. Yes, although we're going to launch it in the middle of February, but talk up the 29th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I love that. Um, well, hey, look, I want to re respect your time. You know, here at the Greatness Machine, we have the greatness question. And first of all, I really appreciate spending time with you. I probably consider it for another hour. I have so many more questions, but, but I do want to be respectful of, of our time together. So um, here at the Greatness Machine, we do have the greatness question. It's one of my favorite questions. And I think that given your expertise, that this is going to be a real interesting answer. But I'm going to ask it anyway. So you ready? You ready for it, Gay? The greatness I am question. ready. Let's do it. All right. So what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life? And how did you overcome it? It get back, gets back to that thing I mentioned about openness to learning. You know, it's like we have two speeds on our transmission, open to learning or defensive. 
And if you're in that speed called defensive, you tend to push away things that could be valuable learning to yourself. Like the two dozen people that came to my golf partner when he was an alcoholic and said, hey, man, you're killing yourself. You need to stop drinking. But something happened on one magic day that changed his life. And so that's we've all got layers of defensiveness in ourselves. That's the way we defended ourselves growing up or saw other people defending themselves that way when we were kids. But what we have to do is make a commitment to being open to learning that's bigger than our old unconscious commitment to being defensive. And so right this moment, think of some people that are really very fast, open to learning. Like uh, two of the people I've met, like I used to, back during the 90s, I used to go down to Austin, Texas a lot to out to Round Rock to consult with the executive team at Dell Computer, which was Michael Dell, Kevin Rollins, and Mort Topfer at the time. And Michael Dell was one of the fastest openness to learning people I've ever met. You know, I've worked with something like 1,200 executives by now, but he was in a class by himself almost because he would take an idea and he wouldn't spend a split second defending it. He would just look at it and say, okay, good idea. Boom. And he would implement it right there on the spot. You know, <laughs> and, uh, wow. th that was amazing. Now, this fellow I told you about that, uh, that, uh, you know, sold a couple of his countries and uh, companies and made an extra hundred million dollars. He's that way too. He is so open to learning that he just goes boom and takes it in. So I got in my own way for a good bit of time in my life by just being resistant and not being open to learning. And so gradually that fell away and with a lot of work on myself to now that I really do consider myself a top-of-the-line openness to learning person. And so that's one of the things I can teach people is how to get faster and more nimble about openness to learning so that you can learn from the organic things that life is trying to teach you constantly. And they're there. We just have to be open up and get on their wavelengths to learn them. I love that. And we don't want, we, we, and we'd rather not get, I'd rather get tickled with the information, not, not blunt <laughs> force <laughs> using your words. I love that. Um, I had this awakening that started about, gosh, five years ago. And, um, and, and the way it ended for me was I said, God threw me off the cliff. He didn't give me an, there, and it was a hard landing, <laughs> but <laughs> but I learned a lot, you know, and 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 it, and I came out of it much, 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 much better. Um, yeah, you, gay, know that you know, we always say here that the uh, unfortunately the uh, instructions for how to get out of the box are written on the outside of the box, <laughs> and so <laughs> oftentimes we need to do a little bit of extra work in order to find the lessons, including getting the assistance of other people to read us the instructions from time to time. Um, but congratulations, Darius, on spending time in your genius zone, and may it affect the lives of thousands and millions of people out there who are hungry for this kind of useful information.
Thank you, Gay. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you, so look, I know there's going to be people that listen to this and they're going to want to learn more. Where, where can they go to, you know, get your books, learn from, uh, get, connect with you guys, connect with the Institute. I'd love, I'd love for you to talk, teach our audience how they can get more of, more of Gay Hendricks and company. Good. Well, our books are everywhere. You find good books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all those good places. Um, if you want a one-stop shopping place to see everything we do, go to Hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And there you will find the whole range of our activities. Some are in the entrepreneurial area and some are in the uh, relationship area. And some are about body-centered, how to feel good in your body all the time. And we teach breathing and movement and things like that. So you can find all our all the stuff there at Hendricks.com. And then we have a, uh, a nonprofit foundation called the Foundation for Conscious Living. And that also you can find out there and has a lot of free resources in it, um, including lots of videos of us teaching things that are like we're talking about today. Fantastic. So you guys go check it out, Hendricks.com. And uh, we got the, the, the new book coming out. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes, um, all the links. Um, and yeah, the conscious look was the book that got me turned on. I can't wait to read the other books. Um, they're, they're going right on the list and I'm really looking forward to the new book in the new year. Gay Hendricks, I am so appreciative. So much gratitude from here at the greatness machine for you to come on. Thank you so much, my friend. We really appreciate you. Thank you. It's been entirely my pleasure, Darius. Well, you guys, like I said, go check out Hendricks.com. Go get the books until next time. Peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. 
There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.